0: And we are just about ready to blow up here with the heat wave. Um, I was just saying to my friend Jim Shorty off microphone that I think in weather, they're going to have a new term. They're going to go pleasant, warm, very warm, hot, and damn hot. I think that's what they're going to do. Could be. Uh, We're close to 100 today again. And then uh, we're going to get a little bit of a cool down. I have
1: 101 today.
0: Tonight we've got um, a front moving in, allegedly, supposedly. <laughs> Gosh, it's been so fun to mow a lawn and to feel like you just stepped out of the shower. Yeah. Wearing all your clothes when you're done. No, it's been it's been beastly hot here. It has. Dew point is high. And so, as Ken Dewey said, it feels like the tropics here. So, uh, and gosh, it's only July. Well, yeah,
1: and they're uh, they're expecting heat indices up uh, north of 110
0: today. So be careful out there. I like there. how you said that I word indices. Indices. Yes. Yes. Uh, along with Jim, always raising the intelligent quotient of the show by a couple degrees, as our first guest. Charlene, with the capital Humane Society, and she should be right there. Hi, Charlene.
2: Good morning.
0: (laughs) Hey, so how are you and the guys and gals doing out there?
2: We're doing very well, staying cool. The AC is running, and we're very grateful for that.
0: Yes, uh, the gentleman's name is Willis Carrier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, give, I give thanks to him daily for inventing air conditioning.
2: Oh, yes, yes, it is great.
0: Yeah, I remember when, um, when I was a kid, there were a few stores in downtown Lincoln that had air conditioning. Mm-hmm. The theaters had air conditioning. And uh, so I kind of remember that, that interface between being really hot and wanting to quote unquote yeah, chill. Yeah.
1: And we we didn't have any air conditioning in the car, and uh, in the house, Mom and Dad had one big window air conditioner in the dining room. So on on
0: hot days, we all tended to congregate
1: around the dining room.
0: (laughs) Okay, what's going on at the Capital Humane Society?
2: Oh, we have beautiful animals for adoption. We have a lot of kittens right now. So if you are looking for an adorable kitten, we have so many to choose from, and we hope you'll visit us today at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center.
1: Well, I think it's it's a rule of nature or a law of nature that all kittens are adorable.
2: That's true.
1: (laughs) So Scott's looking at cats here on the screen right now. I think that's where we're going to start. Okay.
0: Jim, let's invite people at home to dial up CapitalHumaneSociety.org and you can follow along because there are some great pictures here. Jim's a photographer, so he kind of looks at this with a different eye than most people. But wouldn't you say that I would say, yeah,
1: they've got some excellent photography.
0: Okay. I
2: have to give credit to our awesome volunteers who come in and take these pictures. Mm -hmm. They do such a nice job.
0: They got the juice. Okay, here we go. We got cats and kittens for adoption. Who's going to start us off?
2: Alexandra, and I bet you like that one, Jim. (laughs) It's two poses, side by side. She is so much fun. You'll walk into her little colony, and she's usually hiding under the bed, and then you lift the bed, and she comes out and rolls on her back, just like in that picture.
1: (laughs) An invitation to scratch her tummy.
2: (laughs) Yep. She is about three years old, a tabby cat, full of personality, looking for a wonderful family who has a house where she can relax.
0: Yeah, and two cats are better than one, so there's two Alexandrias. (laughs) You get both of them in one wrapper. Look at the one on the left and the one on the right. Yep. Okay, so Alexandra, she leads us off with a cute, cute cat. Can I say that, cute cat? Cute
1: cute cat. Say that three times
0: real fast. Cute cat, cute cat. Okay, cucumbers. Okay, here we go. Our next cat is?
2: Jet Puff. And Jet Puff is one of our Shire cats. So in his photo there, you can see he's kind of hiding in his little hidey hole. Um, He has long, white fur, two years old, a neutered male, really a sweet, sweet cat. Um, But you might have to ask specifically for him because he might be hiding when you come to visit. But he hopes his perfect family will be visiting today.
1: Uh, Nice pink nose and pale blue eyes. What a pretty
2: kitty. Uh Yep, Exactly.
0: Just like the planes that fly overhead, Jet, J-E-T, Puff. There you go, Jet Puff. And I think that's the first Jet Puff that we've ever had on the show. I think so,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, maybe, maybe a sleepy, visions, uh, I don't know if it's mournful or sad, but Jet Puff would like some attention, so go out and ask for her. And her buddy is?
2: Tommy. And Tommy is a Siamese, beautiful blue eyes, a very engaging personality, about three years old, looking for a family that will give him lots of attention. And he does seem to get along well with other cats.
1: Tommy, can you see me? Tommy, <laughs> can you hear me?
0: Hey, Jim, look at the, look at the coloring there. It's yeah. like, okay, let's, let's, let's make the head really dark brown, almost black, and then the body, we're kind of uh. going to go to a, what would that be a sable a saddle almost a some highlights in there yeah beautiful cat kind of a uber Siamese there we go yeah I like the who song you did too that's perfect <laughs> Alexandria Jet Puff and Tommy can you hear me Tommy uh, <laughs> uh, is part of that gang of three there so pictures are up at capitalhumane and if you get really excited Go out and see them. Here's Charlene with hours open.
2: Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. Uh, we will be open today and tomorrow from eleven to five thirty.
0: Woo! Woo! That am supposed to be a dog barking. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> okay, we got dogs next, and who's up?
2: We're going to start with Aspen.
0: <laughs> I knew that.
2: Aspen. Has- It has the cutest look on her face. She's about eight years old, a Siberian husky with blue eyes, big blue eyes in the photo, Uh, very sweet, loves to explore, is looking for a family that will provide her with excellent care and plenty of exercise. Uh, So if you know all about huskies and think she might be perfect for your family, we hope you'll ask about Aspen.
1: Uh, The look on her face, you must have showed her the weather forecast for today. (laughs)
0: What? A second treat? One in both hands? What? (laughs) Oh, beautiful dog. Beautiful, beautiful dog. Oh, yeah. Okay, Aspen's got a buddy. He or she is.
2: Kane. And Kane is a pit bull mix, a very happy dog, about a year old, loves to go and go and then go a little bit more, (laughs) just full of energy, uh, fun, loving, ready to find a family that will provide him with a very happy life.
1: So if you need a dog to get you off the couch and out exercising, this is probably for you.
2: Mm Mm-hmm, yep.
0: Great, great markings on Kane's face. What a happy-looking dog, very alert cool dog okay mm-hmm. take a look at kane and aspen at capitalhumanesociety.org and then there's
2: lady and lady is a basset hound about 2 years old a spayed female really really cute We know there's a lot of Basset Hound fans out there, so if you're ready to adopt, we hope you'll consider Lady. She is a sweetheart looking for a family that will give her a very fabulous forever home.
1: that's interesting. The coloring on the middle half of her looks kind of Dalmatian. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not a Dalmatian. This is a Basset.
2: Yes. Yep. So if you're a Hound fan, she might be the best pet you've ever had.
0: She ate nothing but a Hound dog. There, there is a rear part to that dog, too. You just don't get the front part. You just <laughs> And lady says, yep, yep. See you out there? I'm ready to go through that right there. That's where I want to go. Can you Outside, take me out there? Outside, yeah. Let's go. Um, always great to look at all these pictures of cats and, and uh, dogs for adoption. CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Um, and if you want to have some cool fun this morning or afternoon, go out and see them. Here's Charlene again with hours open.
2: Visit us at our PyLock Pet Adoption Center. We'll be open Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530.
0: Okay, Charlene, what are you doing to beat the heat? What's Charlene's secret?
2: (laughs) Definitely use good judgment and stay in the air conditioning Mm -hmm. whenever possible. Drink a lot of water. Um, again, just be smart. Um, know that uh, we and our pets have limits, so we need to just use uh, our good wisdom and uh, play it safe.
0: And uh, I'm going to add uh, that when folks, when you walk your dogs and you can feel the heat coming up through your tennis shoes, guess what your dog's feeling through the pads of their feet? <laughs> So I I think in a hot day, I think the concrete is probably about 110. And asphalt, that's that black stuff, gets up to about 130. So keep your your dog on grass if you can.
1: Well, and on a day like today, you might just want to hold off on that walk. Yeah, uh, until dusk. Yeah, until dusk or later. Yeah that would be a good early
2: idea. morning or evening hours instead of the middle of the day. Yeah. And like you said, the, keep them on the grass, keep it short, uh, just make sure that you're doing the right thing.
0: Mac hasn't enjoyed being inside during this hot weather. He wants to be outside, but he goes he outside. outside. And, and then when I say, come on, he's right inside again. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: Okay. Charlene, thanks again for our relationship and uh, give my best to everybody.
2: Thank you so much. Have
0: a great day. The Capital Humane Society, make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. And I'm Scott Colborn. Except no substitute. Okay. So we've got no Lloyd Arbach today. Mm-hmm. Um, Lloyd normally is with us on every third Saturday for Invisible Signals. So, uh, Jim, what important equipment do you have in your pocket? In my pocket? See, there's a, there's a reason I'm asking, okay. because when it gets this hot, I reach into my left pocket, and I pull out... A classic red hanky, My red handkerchief, because I learned a long time ago from the cold-born men in the family that... Anything above seventy, we sweat profusely. Mm-hmm. And we need one of these. <laughs> this also can be tighter on one's head as a sweatband. Yeah. I don't yeah. do sort of those do rags. I don't It's not a look I go for, but I know some guys do that as well. Mm-hmm. Especially those of us <clears throat> like me that are sparser on top, less hair. <laughs> and so that's an important thing right there to have in your pocket in Nebraska is a red handkerchief, and also probably <laughs> a cell phone to call for help. <laughs> a cell phone, yeah, got that. Um, so, Jim, um, I'd like to spend a little bit of time here this morning talking about a concern I've got. And Lloyd and I, we've talked about this a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in a uh, social media thread. But it's the, uh, it's the incursion into the paranormal of horror. Yeah. And it's the genre of horror that we all grew up with. Some of us went to more movies, read more of those books than others. Dirt. I think we all know what the horror genre is. Um, the horror genre is make-believe, Mm-hmm. It's, uh, fiction and it usually has, um, violence and it's enacted out towards other people. So an example of the horror genre would be the zombie stuff. Yeah. Um, people somehow being brought back to life and, you know, there's been shows and movies and, you know, ad nauseum. So... I had been invited to two, if not three horror cons to give a presentation, and I politely declined at all of them because I don't see that in the paranormal, the real paranormal, as I call it, that there is a, a uh, entry point for horror. I think when we bring in horror and mix that in with, ghosts and UFOs and out-of-body experiences, not only does it dilute the real nature of the paranormal, Mm. but it also introduces that aspect of fear, of terror. Um, The Hollywood and motion picture industry, the TV folks learned a long time ago that if they ratchet up that fear factor... They believe they can
1: sell more seats. Oh, yeah. People want to be scared, which personally I don't get that, but that's the way it is, and fear sells.
0: So a lot of these uh, horror cons are now bleeding into um, ghost research, um, ESP, the paranormal, the uh, UFO field, and uh, I don't like that. And so I think we need to really keep that genre separate. I'm all in favor of mm-hmm. people like to read or watch horror. Great. But I don't think we need to mix that stuff because I don't think it helps either uh, either camp. Uh, I wish I'd had more coffee this morning to be more poetic because <laughs> I'd thought about this the last couple of days. But it's, it's of concern to me um, What it does is it starts to tell people in very subtle ways that the paranormal, which is filled with thousands and thousands of reports that go back to the, at least modern research, record-keeping the 1800s, of um, interactions with deceased family members, with friends, um, ESP, clairvoyance, clairaudience, Mm -hmm. etc., you start to interject this really creepy terror-filled stuff in there um, that really isn't supported by the literature. And um, you also start then bringing in the idea of uh, dark stuff, which would be um, uh, Satanism, which would be um, a a genre that uh, I stay totally away from. And I don't see that, Mm -hmm. that, that, that that, again, has a place within the literature that I've studied for so many years, I recognize that there is a, a, a presence of evil in the world, and so I don't give it any attention. I focus on the good. And I focus yeah. on um, the uplifting stuff. So there are people that attempt to say that anything in the paranormal is demonic in nature. Um, yeah. We've had a gentleman on the show that, that wrote a book about that that talked about seeing ghosts through God's eyes. Mm-hmm. And um, that's basically his uh, interpretation. Oh,
1: yeah, and that's, that's a mindset. Anything that they don't understand or isn't in your particular holy book, whatever that might be, is, is evil and bad.
0: So if, if we allow the genre of horror to encroach into ghost investigations and research, <clears throat> then it makes it easier for those people to say, you see, we told you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all dark side connected. It's all um, negative. And uh, the truth couldn't be farther away from that. So I'm all in favor again of people having free um, um, uh, choices. Mm-hmm. Of that, And I, uh, I like Stephen King. I like Dean Koontz. I read voraciously, and I like those guys a lot. Um, Last House on the Left was the only movie in my life that I've walked out on. Never Um, seen it. Well, you don't want to. It was basically blood and guts and slasher Mm -hmm. and people Mm -hmm. being being killed. I
1: don't get that either uh, I mean, I remember, and I'm sure you do too all the the old black and white movies from our childhood, yeah where uh, they you know they were suspenseful, there were moments that made you jump out of your seat and want to hide behind the couch, but they didn't have the blood and guts, yeah, and I think doing the blood and guts is a cheap way out
0: oh that's that's well put yeah think about think about the interplay of shadows and light that Hitchcock used, other great characters, sure. or sure. you've got a shadow and you see the shadow moving down the wall and you see the shadow an arm raised with something that looks sharp and it comes down and you hear somebody scream. Well, you know, yeah. you, you know, somebody just got it, but we don't need the Sam Peckinpah bags of blood bursting and the, mm-hmm. you know, the, so...
1: And you don't see that kind of classic filmmaking much anymore at all.
0: Do you guys and gals get what I'm coming from? Um, there are places around that, that, that present themselves as being uh, ghost research, and they've got um, places of business that they claim are haunted, but when you read the descriptive terms, it's all about uh, possession it's all about mm-hmm. dark influences and uh, killings and murders and dismemberments. And I think that twists the, the, the true definition of the paranormal. Yes. As I'm fond of saying, Jim, um, Hollywood horror would have, have us believe that your wonderful grandfather, who loved you so much, if he dies... He's going to come back as a zombie who lives under a bridge and comes out at night and eats people. That's just stupid and dumb. And that's Hollywood horror. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Um, I mean, I like to
1: think of the story that you tell about the little girl that was playing checkers with her grandfather. Why don't you tell it? Uh, you you do a better job than I. Oh come on!
0: <laughs> I don't want to take all of my time here. Give me a, give me a break so I can sip some coffee here. <laughs> Okay, well,
1: the the story is as as I recall the, the little girl comes out and asks her dad to play checkers, and he plays checkers with her, and she she beats him handily, and he says, "Well, where did you learn to play that well?" And she says, "Oh, well, Grandpa taught me. We've been playing in my bedroom." Uh, well, honey, Grandpa died years ago. I know but he comes into my bedroom at
0: night and we play checkers. Mm -hmm. And that's how she learned. Yeah. Did I do that right? Yeah, that was good. I I know a couple um, whose infant son was basically uh, saved or rescued by the deceased father Mm -hmm. um, of one of these uh, people in this couple who suddenly spoke out in the room and said in a loud voice that was unmistakably his, where's your son? And they raced through the house and looked for their son and opened up the sliding glass door that was partially ajar, went out in the backyard, and there was their infant son floating face down in the pool. Wow. And they jumped in and pulled him out and gave him CPR. He coughed up a bunch of water and began to breathe. And so... Mm -hmm. uh, this gentleman's deceased father uh, was still looking out for the family. I wish that happened any time that there was a mm-hmm. calamity, a disaster, etc. We can't always guarantee that we're going to be saved you know, at the bell. But there are many, many examples uh, of that. Uh, Judy and Bill Guggenheim coined the term after-death communication. And these are spontaneous communications without the use of, of tools, mechanisms, psychics, etc., things that just happen. And uh, so this is an example of the real paranormal. It's not filled with blood and guts and people with chainsaws and wearing strange masks. Uh, I've always thought about, you know, what Martin Caden talked about. He said if he had encountered somebody like that, he would pull out his coat Colt nineteen eleven, cock the thing, and shoot him. Like that would do any good? Well, he he <laughs> argued that a forty five would do a, a lot of a lot of good. Um, so he was he was saying again that that there was this overreach happening. Uh, and I'm all for suspense. I read thrillers and mysteries, but folks, let's be really clear about uh, what we're doing here. Uh, when you see a um, an event that purports to be about ghosts and research, and you see people that are presenting horror-related stuff, the author of Dismemberment Two, and I survived mm-hmm. the 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 axe and all this stuff, um, just understand where they're coming from, and it's it's not the real paranormal. How do we do, Jim? I think we did pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Not as good as Lloyd would have done, but I think, well, I think we did pretty good. I think we did. So, um, what are we going to do next? Well, let's do the bottom of the hour break, and then we've got a special guest. And I showed you this, this cover when I walked in today. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, Tarcher Piragie is the author, the publisher. And our guest is Linda Godfrey. This is a gorgeous book really an interesting book that I devoured the last two days. It's called I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore. I should have bookmarked it, too, but there's actually a, uh, one or more reports in here, too, from Nebraska.
1: Oh, good. We do have strange creatures here, and I'm not talking about our studio staff either.
0: Yeah, here we go. Yeah, so we'll talk about we got the Nebraska and the index are good, so we'll look at that.: So it's a great book, and uh, Linda Godfrey is always an interesting uh, mm-hmm. uh, guest. She's a journalist, and we'll kind of learn about how she got interested in this genre through her own experience as a journalist covering a story in Wisconsin. And uh, I think that when we look at some of these uh, reports, I think, again, it, that it, it helps us to understand that, that reality is far greater and maybe wilder and weirder and stranger mm-hmm. than we've all agreed upon. And look at, geez, look at the, the back cover there. Our friend Rosemary Longuily has written a review um, Nick Redfern, Nick who's Redfern, coming up next yeah. week as a guest. He's on here with a review. Interesting stuff. So we've got Linda Godfrey up next. I know what I saw. I'm Scott Colborn, and Jim Shorney's here. You guys and gals have joined us. It's great to have you. Please stay tuned. We'll do some announcements and be back with our guest, Linda Godfrey, on Exploring Unexplained phenomena.
4: of the blues in lincoln nebraska kzum lincoln and kzum hd
5: salute the life spirit and music of jerry garcia and the grateful dead all while supporting kzum our jerry garcia birthday bash returns on friday august 2nd 8:30 p.m at bodegas alley with live performances by the Jerry Pranksters and Root Marm Chicken Farm Jug Band. All proceeds from cover charges at the door and raffle ticket sales will benefit KZUM. That's the Jerry Garcia Birthday Bash, a KZUM benefit on Friday, August 2nd, beginning at 8.30 at Bodega's Alley. Find out more at kzum.org.
6: My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But Big Brothers Big Sisters give me a real role model.
1: And the young me,
7: neither a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this 7-year-old grows up to be a role model himself.
1: Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The full
6: moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now. But there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore New Worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council.
0: This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
5: Do you want to see how your food is growing? This is Bob Hendrickson, host of KZUM's How's It Growing? Join us on our second annual local farm tour presented with Buy Fresh Buy Local Nebraska on Saturday, July 27th. We'll tour three local farming operations beginning at Grow With The Flow at 9 a.m., then Robinette Farms before concluding with a lunch at Broccoli Pharmaceuticals. This year's farm tour is free but limited to 50 people and registration is required. Find out more and reserve your spot at kzum.org.
8: Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM.
0: Scott Coldmore with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And yes, Jim, I'll take some more coffee. <laughs> Boy, you are a mind reader. Um, guys and gals, it's great to have you with us. I hope you're enjoying um, the morning so far. Uh, I promise you we've got a great guest coming up. Linda Godfrey is her name, and she's been a past guest in the program. We've chronicled many of the books that Linda has written. And there's a brand new one that has just been released days ago called I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore. Linda Godfrey is one of America's top authorities on modern day monsters and mystery creatures. And she's appeared on a number of um, shows, radio shows, TV shows, she just had a big uh, appearance on Coast to Coast, and she's written 18 books that include Monsters Among Us, Real Wolfmen, Weird Michigan, and the classic The Beast of Bray Road, the brand new book, I Know What I Saw. Folks, let's welcome Linda Godfrey. Hi Linda, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Um, I know. I think we find you in Wisconsin. Uh, is is it hot there? Do you have the same heat wave striking that's that's hitting us down here?
4: It is hot. It's like in the in the mid to high nineties, and the humidity mm-hmm. is like around in the seventies. So it's like a sauna, pretty much. But I'm so blessed to feel that I have. Um, Air conditioning. It's something I haven't always had in my life, and it
0: just makes all the difference. What a blessing. Oh, don't we? We sweep so much better. Yes. We, we function and perform so much better. So, uh, right. Willis Carrier was the gentleman that invented air conditioning. He's one of Scott's heroes. <laughs> yes. <and> Bless <laughs> his heart. Yes.
4: Bless his little heart.
0: Yeah. Linda, I'm old enough that I remember a car that my grandparents had. They had this metal tube on the side of the car that they would fill with ice, and there was a a port that came into the back window, and as you drove down the road, the air would go through this tube over the ice and then come into the car, and that was the first attempt at air conditioning at the car.
4: (laughs) How ingenious.
0: I I talked with a friend uh, last night about... uh, uh, Linda and Jim, can you remember being younger and going with uh, friends to a, a drive-in movie theater. Oh, you're gonna, yeah. And you're going to see a couple of movies. And it's the sun's gone down, but it's still about 90 in high humidity, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what we put ourselves through.
4: And mosquitoes are coming in the car, but you can't close the window because you'll, you know, bake. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, we just took that as a matter of course. I don't know if we were just tougher then or, or younger or what, but... Um, you know, that's the source of a lot of monster stories are these couples that parking at the drive-in movie or somewhere else and some big gruesome thing comes and taps on your car window.
0: And that's an important part of your book. You talk about some of these legends and how um, a very similar story or legend has moved around the country uh, either with people traveling Andrew, just through a natural uh, way of being shared. Uh, Jim, I remember growing up, there was the the classic one of the couple that went out on uh, Lever's Lane and parked underneath a tree. And uh, they started to hear scratching and uh, they both got scared and uh, drove away. And then the law enforcement was notified and they came back out and somebody was hanging in the tree that was just Mm -hmm. barely able to, to scratch the top of their car. And, yeah, uh,
4: and it's a perfect example of an urban legend. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And, and it doesn't, it's not just, um, I mean, the, the variety of creatures that are said to be uh, at fault for that. There's um, a goat man legend in the northern part of the Moraine State Forest here in Wisconsin, and it's supposed to date back to the Civil War when people were just in, you know, buggies and carriages And there's a very hilly part of that state forest where um, cars and all kinds of vehicles will tend to break down. Well, back in the Civil War, there was supposed to have been uh, a man driving his new bride in a buggy um, headed for their honeymoon cottage. And for some reason, they decided to um, spend part of the night just resting in in the buggy. I don't know how enclosed it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And they heard noise. And uh, he went out to investigate, and it was a horrendous sound that the young bride heard. But she didn't dare to look until morning. And then, when she did finally look, she got carefully out of the buggy, found these giant footprints that led to a tree, and that's where her fiance was, or actually bride, or groom, I guess it would be. So, and and that that legend goes for. Um, upright Dogman. I had one that was like a black panther that was bothering a couple in their car in Illinois. Um, There's another one in Michigan, where it's supposed to be a Native American spirit guardian, and you name it. it. It fits so many situations, and that's how I really usually tend to identify an urban legend, when you've got the same story, different place, different time, but everything happens the same way.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you suppose the original basis was or that kernel of that legend? Did it start out with anything that was was factual or truthful? What have you found, Linda?
4: Well, you know, actually, that kind of attack um, is very, very true to life when you consider mountain lions. And at that time, back in the 1800s, mountain lions were ranging all over the, the Western Hemisphere, from Canada down through all parts of the U.S. They were, they were quite prevalent. And they tend to hunt at night. They're pretty large. A male mountain lion can be six to seven feet long. They're very good at taking out any kind of prey by surprise. And what they do is, um, the, if it's a, a human or sometimes an animal, they often die a quiet death because The mountain lion will bite them in the neck, and therefore they can't scream or anything. And then the next thing that happens is they drag it away, and they can drag away things that weigh two or three times as much as they do. They have a unique method. And up in a tree, if they can get it um, somewhere else, if not, then they'll kind of kick some dirt and leaves over it and hide it, and then they can come back to it. So... They might have all been based on mountain lion attacks, mm-hmm. from all we
0: know. Mm-hmm. Linda, tell the audience uh, how you got your start uh, as a journalist and uh, what you experienced uh, writing for uh, a paper.
4: Right, yeah, and I call myself the accidental werewolf chronicler because <laughs> I never, ever expected it. My degree is in art and art education, um, I actually have worked as an art teacher in some public schools, but my husband being an engineer, um, we moved around quite a bit. That's how they advance us. they And they get sent to different projects. And so um, I did some different things, and one of my objectives was to become a published cartoonist. And I was trying both for daily comics and for editorial cartoons, and it's very, very hard to break into that. It's, uh, just, the odds are just kind of astronomical And I got frustrated, and so I went to, this was back in um, around 1990, I went to our local county newspaper and said, look, I'll do cartoons for you for free. I just really need to have some published things. And they agreed, and they liked my work, and so I did that for probably about a year. And then one day, um, no questions asked, they said, hey, one of our reporters just quit. Do you want to be a reporter? And I said, sure. (laughs) Never having had a journalism course at the time. But the the very first um, real story that I had, other than one that I was investigating at the time, which happened to be animal mutilations, um, was that there were rumors, my hometown of Elkhorn, which is in the center of Walworth County, southeastern Wisconsin, a small road just outside of town called Bray Road, had a number of citizens reporting that they had seen what looked to them like a werewolf. And I found this out from a hint and I just happened to be working with the county animal control officer on this um, problem they were having, finding mutilated dogs buried Mm -hmm. around different parts of the county. And I said to the control officer, John Fredrickson, I said, Hey, have you heard about this thing on Bray road, people are reporting. And he said, Oh, you mean this? And he opened up his desk drawer, pulled out a manila file folder. And I kid you not, it was marked werewolf. Now, when you've got a county animal control officer with an official county file folder marked werewolf, that's new. That, you know, it just has to be. You have to report that to people. And he said people are all describing the same thing. They say it was five and a half to seven feet tall, uh, maybe ran a little hunched over, but it ran just very well on its hind legs had pointy ears on top of the head and a long snout with canines, so it didn't sound like a Bigfoot at all. And they would say, if there was such a thing as a werewolf, this would be be it. And I was kind of surprised. I I know I laughed, and I thought at first, well, this must be some kind of a joke. And then I realized how many citizens had been writing in, and it occurred to me that people who were hoaxing or joking Um, with the public don't usually leave their contact information, you know, because they could be um, charged with fraud or maybe if somebody got hurt because um, a person in a costume ran into the road and there was an accident, you know, you wouldn't want your contact information. And yet they all were doing that. And then when I went out to interview them, they were a very diverse lot, uh, male, female, um, all different ages, and they struck me as being truthful. Some of them seemed still really frightened by it, Mm -hmm. and um, none of them took back any of it. They told me their whole stories. And I remember my editor and I thought it would just be kind of a little local interest. I I really thought it was either going to be something like uh, a warning that there might be a dangerous animal around, which people I thought had a right to know, um, or it might become one of those campfire tales that turns into a legend and it was just astonishing when we ran that story on New Year's Eve weekend 9192 it was a very slow news week my other story that week was about this elderly couple that played piano for for area nursing homes you know so you you couldn't get it was a very heartwarming little simple story it mm-hmm. much more different than the Beast of bay road and i had to come up with a title and I thought, well, I did not think it was a werewolf then, nor do I now, which, in which it would be an actual wolf changing into a man or a man changing into a wolf. And so I thought, well, beast can denote any kind of animal, really. You, you could call a rat or a mouse a beast if you wanted to. And it had that nice alliteration with gray Br- Road. So I went with that, and it just stuck. And then lo and behold within about two weeks, we were inundated. It went out on Associated Press, and I had um, not just regular citizens looking up the newspapers, uh, phone number, or writing me longhand letters because the internet was not then what it is now, Um, but radio stations, TV stations, first from Milwaukee and Madison, and then from um, everywhere. We even had Inside Edition, at the time, and by the way, um, Inside Edition is this week on their InsideEdition.com website. They're running that old uh, documentary that they did when they came to Elkhorn. Bill O'Reilly was the host at that time, if you can imagine.
0: So, will um, be darned.
4: I have a nice, uh, nice coincidence. So that's on, and, and you can go to, to uh, their station and, and watch it, along with a newer interview that, that they did with me. But. Uh, We were receiving this attention, and people were saying to me things like, hey, don't laugh at this, or you Mm -hmm. maybe should be afraid because I have seen it. Um, It almost attacked my brother, et cetera, et cetera. And they were coming not just from Bray Road, not just from Walworth County, not just from Wisconsin, but from around the country and the world. I had a couple stories from people who had uh, uh, relatives who were in the service in France during World War II, saying that they saw them, um, Germany, Virgin Islands, at, you know places you would never expect. And uh, I found out um, that there had been a similar situation in Michigan a few years earlier in 1987 when a disc jockey near Trevor City decided to have some fun and raise some money, and he wrote a little ballad um, that he partly made up, and he freely admits that. Um, about the Dog Man of Michigan. Somehow, it never took off the same way the Beast of Bray Road did, but he had the same reaction when people started contacting him saying, don't make fun of this, it's real. So that's kind of kind of how I launched. And I I followed this for 10 years, still had people writing in. Every once in a while, I would make an update to it. And when 10 years were up, I had another story that I wanted to tell. I wanted to write a couple of books. And so 2003 was when my first book, The Poison Widow, came out, Mm -hmm. and then my second book, The Beast of Bray Road, tailing Wisconsin's werewolf. Mm -hmm. And that just set the whole thing rolling again. And here I am, 27 years after that initial appearance of The Beast on Bray Road.
0: Uh, This is Linda Godfrey and author of 18 books, this brand-new one that just came out uh, July 16th. I have a a hardcover that is a gorgeous book. It's titled, I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore. And Linda's website, it's very easy to find, Linda Godfrey, that's G-O-D-F-R-E-Y.com. Linda, give the audience a description of this beast of Bray Road. We've used this term dogman. Uh, is that an accurate description?
4: Um, I think that it can be, although most of the time these look more like wolves. Um, they resemble in their variation in fur color and length. You know, there's everything from long, shaggy, dark fur to the light gray that you think of with a wolf. Um, but they always have the pointy ears on top of their head, the long um, the long jaw and snout, and they're often noticed to um, hunch a little bit forward. And people will say, most startling of all, it was running on its hind legs, you know, very, very well, as if it was used to doing that. And many times people would see, would first spot it crouching or sitting or just standing by the road on all fours, and then it would stand up. Which is pretty shocking, or it would be running along um, on its hind legs and then drop to all fours and, and go off in another way. So it obviously had had both abilities. but um, it's very unusual to in, in the way that they described it. and they each and people still describe it this way. And you can tell most people um, are not really familiar with the exact anatomy of a dog's leg. If you ever try to draw, draw one and you don't have a good model, you'll run in trouble because their what would be our heel bone is up in the air. They run on their toe pads. We would call it our heel that's up several inches off the ground, but uh, we call it their hock for an animal. And so people will say, it's legs were bent backwards. You know, I couldn't figure it out. And it indeed looks to humans like where well, you're expecting to see a knee going forward, it's really their heel pointing backwards. So that's one way that I can tell people are really just describing what they saw and not trying to make it into something else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you, if you took uh, your knee folks that are listening and put it on the back side of your leg, that's how a, a dog or a wolf's uh, knee joint is right?
4: Well, sort of um, it, it actually, the, the heel area is the part that points forward and then their knee Is up and more where we would call the thigh. It's a little higher up on the leg, Mm -hmm. and that's why. um, If you ever just you can just look at any picture of one dog, and then once you understand that and know the part that's pointing back is our heel, the hock, um, then it all makes sense. Then their dogs, their dog legs, make perfect sense to Mm us.
0: Who who did the cover for the book for you?
4: The cover was done by the art staff at. Uh, Penguin Random House, the publisher they mm-hmm. have a great art staff, they've done all four of my, my books that I, I did for them, and yeah I was real pleased with that
0: So uh, what, what was the, the genesis for this book project I Know What I Saw um, you, you had written a number of books uh, mm-hmm. in or around the subject and how did this uh, project come together
4: well, it was actually about three years ago when we started, believe it or not. It's probably the, the longest I've ever taken to get a book from uh, signing the contract to uh, release day uh, for several reasons. But um, the editor I had, that it turned out that there was a merger coming up along the line. I didn't know that between Penguin and Random House, and so there was a lot of personnel changeover. But the editor that I started out with... Um, a, He's actually a, a published author himself, um, had looked at my other books that I had done for them and said, you know, I would like you to write a story about these creatures and how they compare with the urban legends that we have today. Um, are they more related to that or would they be more related to ancient myths, the weird creatures we see painted on Egyptian um, temple walls, for instance, and just kind of contrast and compare. And that really caught my imagination because so many people ask if they're related to those older things. And because um, the the, the strange thing to me is that so many people, unaware that there are others seeing these things, see exactly the same things. Um, So many of the reports, probably 90% of the upright canine reports that I get, are really so close to everybody else's. And so many of these people, until they happen to see one of my books, or there are other venues now where they could also see it, um, will feel vindicated because they've always felt alone. They've never known that anyone else has seen this thing and think maybe they're crazy all those years or they've told their family or somebody they knew and been made fun of and then, you know, clamped up. And they always say to me, I'm just so happy to be able to tell this to somebody who won't say I'm crazy. And once they realize that Other people are seeing the everybody, and often these things are seen not really where you'd expect them. They're sometimes encroaching on uh, suburbia, you know, coming to the outskirts of different towns, and it's the same way with the Bigfoot. You know, people who see Bigfoot generally see a very limited set of characteristics. You know, it's much bigger, wider than a human, covered with fur, um, a flattened face that is very human-looking, human, human looking. Um, hands instead of paws, you know, they're also very, very close to one another and very no more than um, the variations that we have just in, in humans that we know of. If you think about it, um, humans can be anything from, um, you have our, our, our small people who may be three and a half. I, I think that the, the most famous one, Um, For some reason, his his name should be right on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not getting it. He was really only about, um, you know, two and a half feet tall, and he was a perfect miniature human, um, very famous in in circuses. So, And then we have those um, Florensis Island hobbits that were found recently, and and they're actual humans. They have a few differences. And it can go all the way up to, uh, you know, I think the tallest boy known was an eight and a half foot uh, tall um, man who lived in Alton, Illinois, died as a young man. And um, so if you think about the differences we have in, in humans, we have all different colors, hair. Um, there's even a hair gene or a fur gene that can be switched on um, to uh, enable people to grow hair all over their bodies. They, they look very animalistic, but they're completely human. It's just something that's there. There's a Mexican uh, family that um, has this gene and some of them have, been, uh, have become sideshow performers or acrobats, that sort of thing. Um, but it, um, it doesn't mean that they're animals in any way. They're still humans. So if we can have that variety in our human genealogy, um, it shouldn't be surprising that there are minor differences like hair color or um, size or shape of the head, that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Linda, let me take the top of the hour break, and I'd like to ask a favor of you. Um, I'm holding your gorgeous book here, and I've got it open to page 206. Mm-hmm. Uh, under the chapter, Dire Dogs, is the oh, yeah. story, Nebraska Nemesis. And could you uh, could you grace us by reading that story for us? Sure. Um, what? What?
4: You would like me to you like me to read
0: what they um how they wrote it yes we're here in in Lincoln Nebraska we've got a worldwide audience but I'm always interested in in reports from Nebraska so sure I had my Uh, coffee cup in hand last night and I turned the page and I saw Nebraska nemesis whoa (laughs) okay it's sure great to have you here Linda uh let us take our break we'll be right back okay This is Linda Godfrey. Her website is easy to find, Linda G-O-D-F-R-E-Y, dot com. The book is published by Penguin Random House, and it's I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore. Jim, where do you think these creatures might come from? Are you, at this Uh, point, ready to speculate or...
1: From everywhere. From
0: everywhere. From okay. everywhere. That's well, a good answer. We're going to engage uh, Linda with her expertise here to also talk about maybe the the potential whys and wheres and hows mm-hmm. of these creatures. Um, that's as much fun, I think, as some of the, the actual reports, too. Yeah. Um, so coming up is Nebraska Nemesis, one of the stories why, why here. Why are you from,
1: looking at me when you
0: say that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back, folks, with... Um, Linda Godfrey. It's sure great to have you out there.
4: Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD.
6: Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason, & Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com.
5: KZUM's summer concert series is every Thursday at 7 p.m. through August 1st at Stransky Park near 17th and Harrison. This week on July 25th, the live Soulful Roots of Emily Bass and The Near Miracle with food by Pork Centric. Special thanks to this season's sponsors Dietz Music, Butheris Maser in Love, and Shirts 101. That's this Thursday, July 25th, 7 o'clock at Stransky Park. Find out more on Facebook and KZUM.org. Support for KZUM comes from Maha Music Festival, Friday and Saturday, August 16th and 17th at Omaha's Exarbon Village, featuring Lizzo, Jenny Lewis, Muscle Cousins, Shark Week, Omaha Girls Rock, and many more. Plus activities from over 30 local nonprofits. Passes, schedule, and more at mahafestival.com.
6: My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But Big Brothers Big Sisters give me a real role model. And the young me
7: neither a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this 7-year-old grows up to be a role model himself.
1: Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council.
8: Hi, I'm Vic Valverde and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons 3 to 5 pm for Mesoterra right here on KZUM.
0: Scott with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Jim's here. We've got some great uh, Costa Rican in our coffee cups, fresh ground. And our guest is Linda Godfrey. The brand new book is I Know What I Saw. And I've asked Linda prior to our break to grace us with a reading from her book. Linda, uh, is your page number the same in your copy? Is it 206? Yes, it is.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, uh, this is in a chapter called Dire Dogs, and what, what is the definition of a dire dog?
4: Dire Dog is the name that I came up with because I started right from the beginning getting sightings reports of canines that were way bigger than any normal canine. They'd be described as the size of a, a mini horse or a Shetland pony or a bull calf, Wow, so that's pretty big you know, and, and much bigger than most of the, the, uh, the regular mm-hmm. upright canines are being described at. And they also seemed more aggressive. They were not on their hind legs. They were on all fours, so I was calling them quads. And I didn't really know exactly what to do with them right away. And so I was kind of piling them up. And then I realized that for this book, I had a sizable number. It seemed like they were increasing and that I should actually, um, you know, put them together in something. So... And I call them dire dogs because they have this same, they, they look different from one another often in terms of their, some, some had almost like puppy ears, some had shorter snouts. So they seemed like they might have been more like dogs than wolves. Um, and they also seemed more aggressive. Um, they would, in many of the instances, um, just rush toward a car and ride, or just run alongside of it. And people would say its shoulder muscles came up to the bottom of my driver's window. Driver's oh, that's size. Big. So you can see how big they were. And in some cases, they've even tried to bump cars off the road, you know, so they're not phantoms or anything like that. There's some actual um, size to them. So knowing that, um, I'll jump into the Nebraska nemesis. It's striking how many sightings of these very large dog-but-not-a-dog dog creatures occur along roadways. This Nebraska sighting incorporates an extra feature, what appears to be interference with the automobile's electronic system. The driver wrote to me in September 2014 about an incident that occurred about 25 25 miles west of Omaha. They wrote, I was reading American Monsters with my earlier books, and I thought you might be interested in my weird encounter in late summer or early fall of 1996. I was driving home from working second shift at a food plant in Columbus, Nebraska, around 12.30 or 1 a.m., driving a Buick Skyhawk wagon, a very reliable car that gave me zero problems until my wife at that time hit a tree two years after this event. As I began to drive up out of the Platte River Valley, five miles north of my hometown of David City, the car shut off as I was doing at least 60 miles per hour. My response was a normal, um, well letters that stand for a a frowned-upon phrase, uh, utterance when the engine and the headlights, which had also shut off when the engine quit, came back on, and I was startled to see a huge dog-like animal running in front of me, looking back over its right shoulder, tongue hanging from its huge mouth. I hit the brakes and looked at the speedometer because I was expecting to hit this horse-sized dog, but it was staying 50 to 60 feet ahead, loping along at 45 miles per hour by my speedometer. It was russet in color, had pointed upright ears like a shepherd, and darker fur at the massive, bushy tail's tip. As I coasted behind it, pulled away, looked over its left shoulder, and veered into the oncoming, oncoming side of the road, my headlights went out again, much like a switch was thrown, coming back on in a couple seconds, accompanied by my car's engine restarting and immediately racing. I, in my freaked out state of mind, had the pedal firewalled. The horse-sized dog was nowhere to be seen, and since only open pastures lined the road, I would have expected it to still be visible. I made the last five miles home in record time, and I did not sleep well that night. I've never seen anything like this before or since. One more thing. During the minute-long encounter, I had the strangest feeling it was looking at me, not just at a car behind it. But when I mentioned earlier I was freaked out, it was because I thought the car had suddenly crept out in the middle of the night. I felt no fear while watching this huge animal loping along in front of me. I was unsettled afterwards, but never felt threatened during or right after the encounter. Situations where an automobile's electrical system suddenly fails as it approaches some kind of anomalous, anomalous entity or light are more often linked to phantom's gray ETs, UFOs, and the like than they are to unknown upright canines or huge quadrupeds. Um, But the car's electrical sputtering hardly seems coincidental in this case. Given the facts of the animal's intense behavior, its extreme size, and the observer's strange feeling that the creature had looked back to focus upon him rather than to gauge the danger of a vehicle coming right at it. Astute readers may have noticed similar thoughts among other witness comments mentioned here. I wonder whether a strange feeling was the last thing experienced by those hapless campers in the Nahanni Valley, that's up in Canada, thank goodness, before their heads were liberated from their bodies.
0: Uh, That's Linda reading Nebraska Nemesis from the chapter Dire Dogs in the book is I Know What I Saw. Um, So if this was just one report... I would judge or evaluate this differently than one of a number of reports that you've got. And when we look at this chapter and we realize that you're getting maybe a sampling of a unknown total number out there, then it causes one to sit upright. Right. Uh, I've, you know, we've all been around big dogs, right? We've seen Mm -hmm. big dogs. Um, But imagine being in a car and having a dog, as you're driving along, running alongside your car with its shoulder muscles level with your car window. Mm -hmm. Now, we're talking about a huge dog, and we're talking about a dog that somehow has uh, almost a greyhound speed. Uh, the size combined with this ability to run. Uh, and uh, Linda, it, it's not the the sole report. I've heard other reports of creatures running alongside a car that was going uh, 50 to 60 miles an hour.
4: Right, right. And even in this chapter, I mean, I've got a whole chapter on it, and I had other incidents that I could have put in. I just kind of picked, picked and chose the ones that I thought um were most impressive and complimented each other best, you know. So they happen quite frequently. But did you notice um, this witness used the term horse-sized mm-hmm. for a dog? I mean, uh, one of my sons has a Bernese mountain dog. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Alsatians are another giant dog breed. And people will say it was bigger than the biggest dog breed. Mm-hmm. Now, how would they get this idea on their own? You know, because they... Um, There haven't been, to my knowledge, any areas where there was a big cluster of them right in the same spot at the same time. You know, they seem to be um, more spaced out and everywhere from Nebraska to New England to Canada, you know, they're all over the place. But they're not usually in, uh, there's there's not a real hot spot of them that I have Mm -hmm. found so far.
0: I also find this report interesting, Linda, that there was. uh, mechanical or electrical interference yeah. that the car uh, endured, the driver experienced. So if this guy in this Buick Skylark wagon would have been driving down the highway and experienced mechanical malfunctions in a quote-unquote normal situation, again, I would evaluate that differently than during this ultra-strange, extraordinary experience seeing this creature to have the car malfunction at that time. That, to me, is going beyond coincidence.
4: Right, and also um, this type of electronic malfunction or electrical system malfunction is fairly common in cases of other anomalous phenomena. Mm -hmm. Um, For instance, People who see UFOs and they come a little close may find that their car suddenly stops operating. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a so called ghost light in several places. Um, There's the Brown brown Mountain lights in Texas, the Marfa lights Um, up in Michigan, they've got the Paulding light. And um, I was on a PBS radio show up there in Michigan one time, or excuse me, no, this, well, it was between Wisconsin and Michigan. Mm -hmm. It's equal close to that border. And I had person after person after person call into that show and say, you know, it came up to our car, um, all the lights went out in our car, everything that we had on just failed and stopped. And some will even say they saw it going, passing through their car. And the same thing happens. Um, In Monsters Among Us, I've got incidents of that where um, people see a colored fog rolling through that doesn't seem related to anything else. It'll go through the car, and while it's going through the car, all the electronics are turned off. So this seems to be sort of a common thread. And I have heard um, there are various Native American um, traditions that, say, they're medicine men. One of the things they're trained to do is to travel around as a ball of light, colored or uncolored, and this is a a way that they get place to place. Oh, interesting.
3: Interesting. Yeah,
4: <laughs> it's very interesting. So, there are other entities that are said to cause this same exact thing, and they all happen to be um, not the normal animals we're used to.
0: That's an interesting uh, corollary there with the balls of light uh, and the connection with the medicine man. Uh, right. a, a late friend of mine was uh, Kenneth Bordeaux. His uh, Lakota name was Three Eagles, and he was a Lakota medicine man. I personally was in a room with him. We were both seated in the back of the room, mm-hmm. and a person was at a lectern, probably about 20 to 25 people in the room, and the person at the lectern was talking about their extraordinary personal experiences, somewhat UFO-related Um and some other uh, more ESP and psychic stuff going on. So I happen to turn my head to my right, and on this back row, with my back to the wall, I look to my right, and I'm looking over about 10 feet at three eagles, and from the back of his head, I see this ball of energy... If you I, I hate the word "orb," but this, uh, this spherical Sometimes round it. ball of energy, about the it's size here. of a, 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 a orange to a, a, a hard ball, a baseball, mm-hmm. rise up and travel on the exterior surface of the wall, move diagonally then to the corner of the room, which is another 10 feet. And then from there, travel, again, diagonally up to the edge of a window that had blinds pulled down to prevent the glare from entering the room, and when it reached the, the edge of that, that window frame, uh, it vanished. And so after this presentation was over, I went over to my friend Three Eagles and I said, uh, this is what I just saw. And... His, uh, his demeanor was, uh, was wonderful. He looked at me, and he grinned, and he said, Scott, sometimes stuff like that happens. <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's a great comment. Oh, so
0: yeah. I, I've heard so many reports of people uh, in vehicles or with mechanical things that suddenly have interference, mm-hmm. uh, and then something Um, extraordinary happens. And John Keel, uh, who you mentioned in your book, he championed this idea of window areas. Mm -hmm. Um, We might also use a term that Grant Cameron says uh, or calls them Zendras, uh, portals, Mm -hmm. doorways, windows into another place. And you wonder if It's alleged that some of these portals are fixed, some maybe possibly opening up at different times. I, I don't know the mechanism, but you wonder, could this creature in Nebraska who was there and then suddenly not there have been an example of something that had come through a window or a portal from over there, wherever that is, into our space-time realm, and then just as easily gone back to over there?
4: Well, that is what a number of my Native American friends that I've interviewed, and I've talked to Mm -hmm. elders, um, medicine people, and even uh, one woman who was a medicine woman and an anthropologist, and they, they say, at least the ones that I've talked to, and I mean, not every tribe in America is the same by all means, but the ones I've talked to say that these these types of animals, things that look like large out-of-place dogs or wolves or Bigfoot, um, even the black type of um, out-of-place mountain lion or big cat, they're usually called black mystery panthers, mm-hmm. are all spirit animals and that the portals they use are normally in live open Springs that you would find in freshwater lakes and 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 rivers, and that these are their their portals from this world to the spirit world. We might say another dimension, another realm. You know, there are lots of different terms from it. We're not sure exactly what it is or how it works by any means. But this is what they say that they've been coming to where we are for longer than the humans have been here. That they come because they can be more solid and accomplish things like procreation or other um, things that you do when when you're a a 3d creature Um, and that they that is why they're never caught or you never see a dead one because they're able to transfer back to this other reality that is their actual uh, true home when they need to Mm
0: Hmm. Yeah, I I find that that analysis uh, very interesting, and that's that's where personally I think I would lean. Um, what about the idea of some of these creatures, the upright canines, um, the wolf people, dog people, or these large dire dogs? Um, you mentioned in your book also a skinwalker. And what what is that term for the audience that may not be aware of that? How does that figure into a speculation as to what these creatures are or where they come from?
4: Yeah, I, I know a lot of Native people who will not use that word um, because okay. just using the word is thought to bring one uh, closer to you. But I, I beg they are generally yep. medicine men who have, uh, particularly known among the Navajo, who have um, trained and learned and done um, rather abhorrent things in order to qualify to um, be able to shapeshift, basically. And some believe it's an actual um, changing of the whole body. Um, others believe, and some some books that I have found on um, apprentices talking about their masters, and I don't mean uh, Castaneda, but le- lesser-known books, have described it as being more of a projection you know you mentioned the the aura the the energy field that you can see around people sometimes and we all have an electromagnetic field any any live creature does Mm -hmm. and some people believe that it can be trained and manipulated to depart from the body go somewhere do something or to kind of cover the actual human body sort of like um, a tightly fitting fur suit that is really just a projection that uh, can be withdrawn at will, and normally they're they're not known to have a good reputation. In most cases, um, they're they're up to no good, ac- according to most of the the accounts that I've read of them. Mm-hmm. So um, that that would be the general description.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a presentation uh, last year by Grant Cameron, where he was talking about. Uh, the Skinwalker Ranch and Mm -hmm. he was using um, a series of analogies where he talked about these extraordinary experiences if we can use that as an umbrella term they tend tend to mirror back to us aspects of who we are with Mm -hmm. that that thread being consciousness and Mm -hmm. so he talks about a number of very positive experiences that people have had where they have been peace-seeking people, they have been uh, out uh, looking for a connection with one of these uh, uh, beings, uh, intelligences, doing a um, close encounter watch party uh, with a a bunch of people. And then he contrasted that with some of the reports from the Skinwalker Ranch where you've got these ex-special forces guys that are armed to the teeth that are trained in extreme violence and know how to use any number of methods of lethal force. And so with them there, what do they get then that mirrors back to them? Well, they get these creatures that are larger than life that aren't affected by bullets that are very, very violent, that give these guys that that mirror of where they're at. And Grant That's
4: a very interesting take on it.
0: Grant put it a lot more succinctly uh, than I just did, but I've I've wondered about that, the old metaphysical term like attracts like.
4: That's true. I think it's a general general law, um, you know, mm-hmm. and as I think so I am, as a man thinks it's in his heart, so is he. That's mm-hmm. um, you know, b- biblical too and probably has a lot of truth to it. And I don't know if you saw my previous release, which is Monsters Among Us, but in that book, From the Beginning to the End, uh, Interspersed, I go through uh, my work aiding and abetting um, a Bray Road hay farmer for the past five years or so who um, came from Illinois, bought this hay field so he could feed his horses on his farm in Illinois, and began to find strange mutilated. Mutilated
0: animals on it. um, Save save that story that I want to come back to that. That's an important story, Linda. It is. Let me, let me take this bottom of the hour break. It'll be just a little bit longer. So it'll allow you to get up and use the bathroom or get a fresh cup of coffee. And we'll come back with that story. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I love that book, by the way. Um, Thank you. These are, these are the sort of books that I sat down last night. You know, sometimes on a Friday night, folks, I sit down, and I've read about half the book, and so I, I want to read the rest of the book because I want to do that for each of my guests to, to be prepared. And so sometimes, quite frankly, I, I force myself through the book. There are other books, like Linda's <laughs> book, that I just devoured. And it wasn't a thought of, okay, the clock's getting late here. I've gotta, I, I wanted to finish it. It was so interesting, and so... Stay tuned. We've got this great story coming up here from Linda Godfrey. Her website is lindagodfrey.com. What a whale of a show. Jim, are you enjoying things? Oh, yeah.
1: Very interesting.
0: Let's let's pour some more coffee. We'll take a little bit longer music break. We'll be back here with Linda Godfrey. I'm Scott Colborne, Jim Shorty, and Linda Godfrey. And you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. (laughs)
4: of the blues in lincoln nebraska kzum lincoln and kzum hd
5: this week in lincoln is supported by the local venues listed here this is live music coming to stages this week in lincoln saturday july 20th brings salt creek's if you were there release show to the bay at 7:30 with death cow author and parking lot party Blackfoot Gypsies and Steady Wells start at 8 at the Bourbon. Wade D. Bowen comes to Bailey's Local at 8. And Day 2 of Zoo Fest kicks off at 1 at 14th and P with a lineup featuring Blue Zed, the Bottletops, the Bruce Katz Band, James Harmon, Mavis Staples, and Empire Strikes Back. On Sunday, July 21st, the Playmore's Country Night features Mackenzie Jalen and Tammy Hall at 8. And Annie and the Bang Bangs play Duffy's Tavern at 8 p.m. with Red Cities. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. Support for KZUM comes from Maha Music Festival, Friday and Saturday, August 16th and 17th at Omaha's Exarbon Village, featuring Lizzo, Jenny Lewis, Muscle Cousins, Shark Week, Omaha Girls Rock, and many more. Plus activities from over 30 local nonprofits. Passes, schedule, and more at mahafestival.com. The full
6: moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit Read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore New Worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council.
8: Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra right here on KZUM.
0: Scott Colborne, Jim Shorty, and our special guest, Linda Godfrey. Hey, who's coming up next week? It's a a colleague of Linda's, Nick Redfern. He has a brand new book out called Cover-Ups and Secrets, The Complete Guide to Government Conspiracies, Manipulations, and Deceptions. Let's go back to Linda Godfrey. She's live from Wisconsin. And Linda, you were setting up a story that you featured in Monsters Among Us, uh, and please go ahead.
4: Yes, um, it's about Bray Road, kind of back to Bray Road. And people ask if anybody is still seeing the um, the were- werewolf-like creatures. And sometimes, but there's other things going on. And this gentleman who bought this farm field started to discover things like mutilated raccoons that look like they've been zipped open, and their uh, contents of their innards just set nicely next to them and then that would disappear he was seeing strange footprints and so he asked some of his neighbors if they had these problems and they said oh don't you know your farm is right where the werewolf lives and he's like werewolf what you know what is, so they filled him in and uh, somehow directed him to me and I went out and started just kind of helping him identify footprints and mm-hmm. and helping him with his field work um, he had really strange things he was bringing up Roadkill deer carcasses from Illinois in his truck, and putting them on his farm, which at the time was entirely legal. He's since just had to stop because of some new DNR regulations. But at the time, we I think he got up to 18 different deer um, doing these things. And we there was one that was was 180 pound deer. It was you know should have been a juicy specimen for any kind of carnivore predator. And by the way, he was um, trying to document these things with as many as up to four trail camps at a time where he'd lay them. And something always happened to the trail cam images um, or the trail cams themselves. He was never able to get it. But this one was particularly quiet. And I said, you know, why don't we just do a nighttime stakeout across the field where it won't feel threatened? Maybe there's something bigger that's keeping the other things away. So with our colleague Sanjay Singal, a, a friend of mine, um, we set up on the other side of the field, we had a camera by us aimed across the field. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting there. It was about 10.30 or so. It was very clear August night. No wind, no weather. And we were kind of watching. Uh, there was a flight line from an, a nearby airport. And we were kind of watching some flights of, of these airplanes. And you could see their, their bright uh, nose light as they were coming in. And there was one I was watching. And the guys were kind of looking off to the side at that moment. They were both in the front seat. I was in the back. And I, as I looked at it, it stopped in midair above the tree line, right above where this deer carcass happened to be. And I said, hey, guys, that one's not an airplane. And and as I said that, it was like it suddenly homed in on us. I don't know how else to describe it. And it immediately began floating directly across the field, not, not hither and yon or bouncing up and down. It made a beeline for us sitting in that car and you know, it was just so startling to see it. We were all kind of like, "What? what is that? Is it, what's it doing? It's coming to us. You know, I was trying to get my camera up into position because I had these two big guys in the front seat I, and it was at the wrong angle. I couldn't quite get it. And finally within, it seemed like no time, although we could see it the entire time, it stopped about 25 to 35 feet in the air and about that same distance from the car. So it was close. Yeah. And it was very close. It, and it was um, a sphere. We all estimated it was about the size of a basketball. It had an inner light to it, but it wasn't giving off light. It wasn't lighting up the ground around it. Sanjay um, thought that he saw a beam coming out of it toward the ground at one point, but uh, Lee and I didn't see that. Otherwise, we saw exactly the same thing at the same time. And Sante had, had a big... Um, flashlight torch type of thing in the front seat and he suddenly felt just motivated his car window was down to stick it out the open window and shine it on this thing and he did that and we all tried to search for some way to describe its reaction we all felt first of all that it was surprised which is an odd thing to feel about a ball of light but we all felt it was surprised and then We watched it, um, the closest word we could come up with is jitter, because it didn't quite, it blinked out, but it didn't go super smoothly. It was like it was jittering a little bit, and then it was gone. We couldn't tell if it had reappeared somewhere, or if it just blanked out forever, or if it went back to wherever it was. Um, And then Sanjay, who was evidently the bravest among us three, Uh, He said, I just have to see if it went behind those bushes or something. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we allowed him to be the guinea pig, and he jumped out of the car, looked behind these bushes, and within seconds he came back to the car saying, I feel terribly ill. I'm really sick. We have to go right now, which is, you know, not a a normal reaction, especially for such a short exposure. But it is fairly common to have, you know, nausea and um, flushing and that kind of thing when you encounter one of these, mist-related or, or sphere-related, uh, I'll say entities, for, better, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. So um, we left at that point, and just every, you know, we, we still talk about it every time we get together, because it was something three pretty well-trained observers saw at the same time, all agreed upon, and was connected to the one spot where all the action happened out there in that field.
0: Did anything uh, later on that night that you're aware of happen with that carcass then?
4: Um, no. As far as I know, it just stayed as it was. And um, Lee, his name is Lee Hampel, The owner of the, of the um, hay farm has had other strange light phenomena. Mm-hmm. For instance, he was leaving one time, leaving his property, and uh, pulled out onto the road, and this giant round ball of light immediately began to follow him and i think there were actually two because he thought it was a truck or something and he'd speed up and it would speed up he could never get a a glimpse at whatever the vehicle was and he got to the intersection with with the highway um and he turned to look at it he said well now i'm going to see it and it was just gone the light was Mm -hmm. gone there was no vehicle there was nothing behind him but it followed him all that way so yeah there there are some things still happening out there definitely
0: Ah, uh, this is Linda Godfrey, and uh, she's written a number of books, "Monsters Among Us," and this brand new book, "I Know What I Saw: Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore." And Linda's website is her first and last name, Linda Godfrey, G O D F R E Y dot com. Linda, uh, what was the personal experience where you saw? Uh, Part of um, what would be a a mane of hair, a a top of the back of some creature. I'm going from. Oh
4: yeah, I think I think that you're talking about um, an incident that happened when I was in with a camera crew. Actually, a a camera. They sent one one, but he was a really good uh, photographer. It was for the History Channel uh, for Monster Quest. And I was out on a lonely. This was back in like 2006, I believe. Mm-hmm. I was out on a lonely gravel road with them. It was about um, two or three in the morning because that was the time these three people had had a sighting, two different sightings actually. One, and they were both of upright dog men or wolf men. One was about six feet tall and brown furred. The other one they said was about seven feet tall and gray furred, on two different occasions. And we had a spotlight, a floodlight type of thing set up in the center of the road because nobody was using this obscure gravel road at night. There was a uh, an abandoned building right nearby. And all night long, we kept um, seeing the motion sensor go off by that building, and we were seeing green, glowing eyes in the, wo- in the um, bushes. So something was there. And all of a sudden, um, at a time, of course, when the photographer was turned the other way, mm. something came r- tearing out from the left side of the road, ran just through the edge of that spotlight so that what I saw was the spine of something. The spine was upright, was covered with gray fur, and it was large. And it ran across the road. One of the witnesses also saw it at the same time and immediately insisted we go home at that point. But it ran across the road and temporarily blotted out a sign that said, um, it, well, it was, it was just a road sign, a reflective mm-hmm. road sign. And That's a pretty big creature it, it would have had to have been seven feet tall in order wow. to blot that out. Wow. So I don't know if that was the dog man or what, but all I can say is that I saw the spine of something mm-hmm. gray furred that was erect and stood seven feet tall.
0: So uh, most of us, Linda, that grew up, that had any sort of, of training, either with scouts or uh, other camping groups, and the military, we know that we have great respect for nature and we have great respect for um, guns. Mm -hmm. So I've thought to myself, the chances that somebody or a group of somebodies are out there running around with costumes on or disguises trying to mimic a uh, alleged creature That's offset by the knowledge that there are people in rural areas that that carry guns in cars and pickups, the old uh, rack on the back window of the pickup.
4: Yep. And
0: they are not afraid to pull the weapon out and shoot. Yeah,
4: exactly. It's dangerous for everybody. Yes. And for that to be true, Scott, there would have to be like uh, a nationwide um, collusion and planning that would make it the biggest best hoax that was ever perpetrated on mankind you'd have to have all these you know hundreds and hundreds of people with fursuits um, unrelated to one another and different kinds of fursuits and this i've often thought that night could that have been a human in a fursuit? suit well the temperature was it was actually almost exactly like it is in wisconsin today in the upper 90s and really hot. what feels like a, almost 100% humidity. Anything running around that area in a first suit that night would have probably passed out from dehydration.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, a government um, secret experiment uh, trying to come up with a new form of, of soldier or fighting machine. Uh, you've gone through in, in the book a number of possible explanations. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really appreciate, Linda, The tone and nature of your book, I know what I saw because I've really tried to champion letting the witness in their own words tell their story. And I salute you as a journalist for for following that edict because I think we learn so much when we can actually read and hear those witnesses, their choice of words, the manner in which they're describing something. Uh, I would would prefer that over somebody else trying to, to... Paraphrase her remarks. So, right. uh, I
4: think it's much more believable and and trustworthy too.
0: Yes. You, uh, young lady, you've had a busy July so far. I know you had a big Uh coast to coast appearance, and um, I looked at your website and saw a lot of your uh, engagements, your appearances. My goodness, you are busy.
4: Well, it's especially hectic when it's book release week. And thank you for calling the young lady, by the way. That's, that's, that's lovely. You can call me that all you want. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, when, when there's a book release, there's kind of a big hoo-ha, you know, and, and uh, my wonderful publicists at Penguin Random House have set up a lot of things for me. I've been in Chicago and um, Madison and Milwaukee and um, heading or I'm going to Chicago this week, I should say and, and a few other places um the last book they actually sent me around in New York City, which was different and a lot of fun too mm-hmm. so, so well, yeah it's, it's fun and peop as long as people are interested in the book i'm i'm happy
0: what is your what does your husband and family think of of your work?
4: They're very tolerant um my husband is very supportive, he's not um a general believer, but he has had some experiences hmm um, that that he can't deny uh, being my husband so I, I guess i i like to say i keep life interesting for him but he's an <laughs> engineer a civil engineer uh-huh. you know so he's he's kind of a numbers and facts kind of guy yep and and yet he has seen too much of what has happened to deny um you know that there are things really beyond our um, mm-hmm. expa- best explanations and, and understanding and my sons uh, have been um you know just sort of nonchalant toward it it's to them, you know, when your mother does it, well, that's something my mom does. Yeah. So, you know, and, and they're independent enough that they've kind of uh, gone their own ways. But yet they've also been supportive. And mm-hmm. my youngest son, um, who's, who has a, a degree in film from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, is with me making a documentary film about the huge numbers of mountain lions and also of the Black Mystery Panthers that have been seen in the past couple of decades around this 18-mile radius in western Wisconsin, and there are well over 150 sightings documented. Over half of them are black mystery cats, which are not supposed to exist. No. And there are many more we know for sure that just aren't you know, part of the, the list. So I think one could safely say uh, 200 or more just in the past several decades in this one little spot in Wisconsin, and what is the deal there? So we're making, it's called Return to Wildcat Mountain because this place even has a mountain called Wildcat Mountain that's been there. It was named by the settlers that came.
0: Linda, thank you so much from your your busy schedule to share your knowledge and your uh, experiences with us. I appreciate you uh, as a journalist chronicling uh, many of these uh, reports, and thank you so much for taking time to be with us.
4: Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you so much for having me, and uh, a special thank you to all of your listeners
0: as well. Uh, Linda Godfrey, her website is just exactly that, lindagodfrey.com, the author of 18 books, and this current book with the gorgeous cover, very provoking. You want to pick it up and, and open it. I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore. And stay in touch with Linda on Facebook, as well as through her website, lindagodfrey.com. Jim, we're just uh, minutes away from Beta Radio, Mm -hmm. and I have no idea what's happening today.
1: I think we've got somebody out there waiting to come in.
0: Okay. They are welcome to come in if they want to. I saw someone come in the door. Yep. So Beta Radio is going to come up at uh, 12 o'clock noon. Yep. And, uh, Jim, I'm going to grab some lunch and hang out in the air-conditioned comfort of... As will I. And here she is. And, Jim, um, how about mowing a lawn, huh? Maybe... Uh, no. I might, I might <laughs> wait till tomorrow night.
1: Definitely not today. Hot one today.
0: 101. 101. Yep. It's, it's stay indoors. Okay. Uh, guys and gals, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you being out there. Stay tuned until next week. With Nick Redfern as our main guest, I'm Scott Colborn, and Walk in Beauty.